Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. That's out of Romans 13, and that doesn't kind of give you a little bit of a hint of what we'll be talking about today. Um, But we are back after being gone for about a week. Um, The weather has been pretty bad, so we've hardly been able to get out and um, but you live out in the country. Has your roads been pretty well covered or have yeah, you been able to get out? Very much so. And uh, traffic was, was hardly uh, down, was down to nothing virtually and and spent a lot of time out in some very cold weather cleaning the snow up about three or four times because of more snow and wind blowing everything back in. And uh, But it looks like we're about ready to head towards 40, 50 degree weather and that'll clean a lot of things up. Yeah, it's crazy how he, just here in the Midwest, like it got down to like negative 16. And, but I got a friend and a brother who live in uh, North Carolina, and they said it's been like in the 50s and 60s during that time when we had negative 16. So it's crazy how we can get quite a temperature difference. But if it wasn't for the fact that I have work over the winter around here, I would definitely have moved down to North Carolina for the winter. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been invited to from some of my relatives to move to northern part of Alabama. And what was interesting, this cold front went down there. They were actually in single digits in certain areas. And so was Mississippi in the northern part, and that's where my my relatives live. So needless to say, I don't know if I'd have been any better off or not. Yeah, I think even Texas got down to, like, freezing, which southern Texas, that, that rarely ever happens. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, the uh, this last week was the, the Iowa caucuses, which is, like, a huge thing. Because I was kind of a huge player when it comes to the caucuses. Did you end up making it to that or not? No, I uh, I did not. I did not try to get out, but because of the weather, and I of course I live on a hill and it can get awful slick, and and um, I thought, well, I don't want to wind up in the ditch somewhere. I don't think I would have, but and we're uh, at an age where my wife and I are saying, well, why should we go out at 76 years old and get, be that cold? And we we knew it would probably be a, a win for uh, Trump, uh, but we just decided to stay home. Yeah, and I saw where afterwards DeSantis is now backing Trump. He had dropped out and is backing Trump on his campaign now. Yeah, and I think it's like everything. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I would caution anybody when it comes time to vote to, to remember the words of Jesus Christ in, in the book of John, chapter 2, right before chapter 3, and where he talks to Nicodemus about being born again. Now, it's, of course, uh, it says that God didn't trust, or Jesus didn't trust any man, for he knew what was in man. And so often I have personally, over the years I've done work on on a political level, uh, interaction with them, and and it's, uh, moving things along when it comes to certain regulatory issues and that sort of thing. And uh, needless to say, I've come to a point that I don't trust people. In fact, uh, I can remember some mornings uh, getting up, taking a shower, putting on my suit, and going down and talking with the people that are in some of those realms. And felt like after I got done talking with them, I needed another shower because I just felt like it was just, you know, sleeves and slime and people were deceitful. And because when it comes time to really do it, when they say, oh, I'm for the little people, uh, not so. And I experienced that firsthand. And uh, when, you know, we need to recognize anybody can talk, but you need to look at the end result. 
Yeah, that's actually, I think, where you and I first got connected way back when, because your son was involved in politics, and then we were, like our family was too. I think that's how we actually first got connected, because I remember even just being, what, maybe six or seven, and helping out with political campaigning stuff. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. But, and actually with the the whole election thing coming up, I think that's kind of a hot button when it comes to uh, Christians and in the church, because as far as, I think there's a lot of division in the church as far as politically, like who you should vote for. I think everyone's got their own leaning towards political parties and values as far as why and how you should vote for a political uh, candidate. Um, But I think that's actually one of the reasons people liked Trump, though, when he was campaigning, because he wasn't like a politician where he, like you had said, like you say one thing, but you really mean a different thing, whereas Trump wasn't really a politician. He was, uh, he just kind of said what he thought, which a lot of people didn't like that either. Um, But I think as we come into election season, though, like, what are some things that you think Christians should consider when they're um, looking at different candidates? Well, I think one of the things is is that you have to say, does this candidate really have a background and understand the the moral issues uh, at hand? Uh, as you and I talked a little bit before the uh, the, the, the podcast here, um, if you're going to debate with somebody, you've got to know what their moral more you know their their foundation is. If they say, "Well, my moral foundation is what I think is right and wrong," well, they in essence have made themselves to be a god, a small g, but still a god. Everything has to run through them, and if you don't say and do what they want, and then all of a sudden uh, that they think they have the right to say you have some sort of a, a phobia or you're mentally maligned and that sort of thing. Well, the problem with that is, and then I'd say no. Uh, if I want to get into that kind of argument, uh, I think I'm right, and uh, so I guess I'm my own God, and uh, if, then you're going to start clashing. So there's no overriding morality whatsoever uh, that there is. And, of course, you and I both believe that, the, that there is the God of the Bible, and we believe in him as, a, as the founding uh, um, principles uh, you know, that we use out of the Bible and uh, guiding things. You know, for instance, um, I've taught many Sunday school classes, and I uh, one of the things I like to do is is uh, say, okay, I want a show of hands here. How many of you like being lied to? And no hands go up. Or how many of you like to have, have uh, deceit pulled on you? Well, how many of you like to be stolen from? How many of you uh, like to have uh, your children hurt? By someone, and how many of you have would like to have somebody hurt you? And of course, you know nobody wants that done. Well, truth is, if that's just about what the Ten Commandments are about, it lays it out. And if you look at it in the context of your personal self, your own self doesn't want that done to themselves. Uh, then you start realizing why in the Romans chapter two, it talks about that man will be judged by his own uh, morals. Well, most of the time those morals are dictated to you by the fact what they like and don't like. And uh, and as I've just ran through that list of the Ten Commandments uh, without going through, um, you know, loving the Lord your God and then keeping His commands, but as far as the rest of it, you know, these are issues that are personal issues. And so that's one of the things that I, uh, I try to judge uh, my... Uh, the individuals that are running. And um, 
but we have to do, we have to make sure that we do understand no matter who is running, that they are very, very capable of making some very poor decisions. Yeah, I agree that it does start with <clears throat> that foundation of the of uh, absolute truth. Like we had talked about several months ago um, about how we need to set that foundation first because I think a lot of people nowadays make a lot of decisions based on emotion and a lot of decisions based on preference. And, uh, and the question you have to ask is, well, what if you're wrong? And people don't like being insinuated that they could be wrong. But if I have one opinion, you have a separate opinion, which of one of us is right? And it all comes down to either one of us is actually fundamentally right or it's just based on a opinion and preference or that there is actually an absolute truth that we have to come back down to having a foundation to. And I, as we've seen in a lot of previous elections, a lot of people make their decisions, especially voting decisions based on emotion. Um, we saw like the whole uh, the campaign with Donald Trump. That was a huge thing. And it's no secret that people just don't like Donald Trump just because uh, like he has said some mean things or he said things that are offensive or things that are, are perceived as being racist and uh, and not quite the wisest when it comes to what he tweets out. But um, but he offends a lot of people, and so people decide, well, we're not, we don't like him just because he made, he didn't make me feel good, or because he offended me, or because I don't like what he said, or he doesn't agree with what I think should be, should go. And so instead of actually coming down to like the actual truth of like what has he actually done, what what's his ideologies, and so I think it does come back down to we have to understand that there is an absolute truth that we all have to kind of base each other, base ourselves around, um, and then make decisions from there. Well, and, and you've hit it on the head there, but the, the thing is, too, you know, when you have somebody that says, uh, oh, he said this and he said that, well, let me tell you what, he doesn't corner that market at all. Just on the other side of the, uh, uh, the bench there, uh, there's been a lot of very nasty things said by some of the people that are directly opposed to him. And, uh, I mean, we've even had people here recently indicate that somebody ought to take him out, assassinate him, and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's pathetic in either direction for someone say, we need to assassinate uh, the, uh, the opposing person. What we do need to have is a fair and honest election. We need to have good uh, people representing what's said. Uh, I, am, I have firsthand... Um, knowledge of that because I was at a meeting one night and I was laying out an idea before a uh, uh, a group of people and there was a reporter there and they asked a question, I answered it. They asked another question, I answered it. They asked a third question, I answered it. The reporter who was very much kind of, you might say, opposite of what I, I believe because I'd seen some of her writings before, uh, Indicated I did not in, uh, answer the third question, and it basically was deceitful. That wasn't true. So sometimes it's not the only uh, a sin of commission, but it's a sin of omission, and not telling, showing people the context of things. And in fact, um, uh, there are sometimes questions asked that uh, uh, to people that uh, keep that are totally out of context and also misleading. And so uh, it's, it's like the old statement where the lawyer would say to the guy on the stand, have you stopped beating your wife yet? Well, the problem is you're saying you have if you say yes, and if you say no, that means you're still doing it. <clears throat> and we have to be very, very careful about what's being said and keep it in context uh, 
And I've seen a lot of things taken out of context over the years. Exactly. And I actually just watched a video, well, I think it was yesterday, um, and uh, I think there were, I think it was someone interviewing someone from like the LGBT community, but the person was, you know, bizarrely painted up like a unicorn, just dressed real bizarre, and uh, and asked about, okay, what, what do you think is important for this next election? And they said something like, we just need peace and love, we need to accept each other, we need to... Um, all work together and live in unity and stuff. And they said, okay, what do you think about Donald Trump? Oh, he needs to die. We just need to kill him. And it's, yeah, it's like we have things on, you know, on the right side that uh, that the left doesn't like and just writes off certain candidates just because of certain small things they say. But then on the other side, we have people who say absurd things as well. They're just not taken to the same way as it is if, if it's someone conservative saying it. But I mean, like you mentioned about context, and I think something – Something like it comes back to what I had said before. People make decisions off based off their emotions, especially when it comes to voting. And I think we've seen that a lot more in the past just couple voting seasons. But like when you have someone like someone who doesn't like say like Trump because uh, things he said, and yet you got to look at what the state of our country was back during his his uh, administration versus now, and it's quite a bit different. Like even now we have a president who can't hardly walk on his own or form a thought. And yet we have people who think that he's better than Trump as far as running the country. And, you know, we, we come down to like looking at like issues of immigration and like illegal immigration coming over. If you look at the numbers during a Trump's whole presidency, I think it was like uh, 977,000 illegals came, like immigrants came over illegally from the Mexican border. During uh, Biden's presidency, it was 28 million. And the just the num the whole difference between those is staggering, and the the amount of I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the statistics of the amount of crime, especially in the southern part of the country, related to illegal immigration, has gone up significantly. And so you know, you look at things like immigration, and like like Trump was like the first president who's been able to like successfully go over to North Korea and start working with uh, Kim Jong Un. Another president's been able to do that, whereas you have like now, like other countries are looking at us as a weak a weak administration. Like we had to pull out from Afghanistan, um, which I think started a lot of it. But then after that, you know, you had Russia invading Ukraine because they knew America wasn't going to respond to it. And then you had um, uh, Hamas going into Israel. You've had genocides of Christians over in, um, over in Africa. You've had all these things going on that wouldn't have happened if people would, if other countries would respect our military, which was the case at one point. And uh, so I think we got to look at, like, what is that that candidate actually going to do for our country, not just how they're going to make you feel, because we need to, I think that's one criteria that we should look at as Christians at um, the candidates coming up is, um, I think there needs to be that moral base, like you had said, they have to have a good moral standing and have good moral values. Um, but at the same time, too, I think some Christians go too far, and they think we need to have someone that's basically a pastor to go in. And run the country, and I don't think that's necessarily the case either. Because the job of the president, um, in my opinion, is there to run the country um, and run it run it in a in a good way. And I think you have to have that moral foundation for that. But at the same time, too, the goal the, the job of the president isn't also to turn everyone over to Christ. That's the job of the church. And so I think the president needs to have a good moral base um, for making decisions and making. Um, and put, moving things forward, but at the same time, they need to have that that good understanding of what's going to actually benefit the country I, from an economic standpoint, 
from a moral standpoint, from a foreign relations standpoint. Yeah, and, and you know, you really got to understand that, uh, you know, we know we've heard uh, many times that uh, they tried to, to just go along with Hitler. Uh, Neville Chamberlain did and tried to go along with Hitler and, and said, everybody, oh, everything's cool and there's no problem here. Well, the next thing you know, Hitler was um, creating war throughout Europe and was going to attack Britain, was coming for the United States also. And um, if anybody has studied that war, they know that uh, it wasn't far from happening. But uh, the bottom line is when you don't stand against the tyranny and that is that that kind, you know, they're, they're not going to just sit there and smile at you and say, oh, you're okay. They're, gonna, they're just going to keep coming. And they have. And on a global basis, we have a, uh, a group of very, very, very wealthy people on a global basis that are trying to do, to disrupt uh, America around and other places around the world. In fact, they even said here recently that elections are going to be a relic of the past and that uh, in their process of doing that, they're saying that uh, the, everything will be run by artificial intelligence. What is the moral foundation of artificial intelligence? Uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of cases already where artificial intelligence has went a little haywire, and we're just at the beginning of it, let alone when you start getting into more sophisticated uh, uh, types of computers. And so uh, I purposely do not want to see a computer control the world, and yet for some reason these people do. And then when you look at their moral pinnings that they have, uh, these are people that are say that you ought to be getting rid of the um, population up to being 95% uh, getting rid of them and leaving only 5% on a global basis. This is well established. You can go on websites and see this. I mean, it's not something like I'm saying. It's something that's been said real well. Uh, Steve Quayle wrote a book called Terminated. He quoted him. It was written, I think, in 1917, 16, and 17. And he quoted these people at length about, you know, what they were. So this is not just an American thing. Now, we always got to keep in mind that any time that we do this is that we remember the words of Paul. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual, dark spiritual powers. And that's one of the things we're fighting, is that they come in and they know how to hit your hot buttons. They know how to do various things. They know how to make you say, well... I want this selfish aspect, the whole bit, and it causes confusion. And remember, God is not the author of confusion. And that's, that's one of the things that concerns me is why this church has to be more working more in reaching out with the gospel. And you mentioned about the uh, people coming in across the southern border, maybe the northern border too. Uh, there's been a tremendous effort to, to uh, make sure that we are... Uh, reaching out to them with the gospel of Christ. And the other thing that uh, we have got to recognize that the Bible says we were conveyed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light when we received Christ. He is light. And we so in doing that, we have become citizenship of heaven. And our main job is to be ambassadors to planet Earth in the totality of it, not just the United States and, and those sort of things. But we should also shed light 
on um, on the darkness out there. Paul made it very clear. And so when something comes along that says this is okay when it is morally objectionable from God, I think we have to say no, it's not okay. And we don't we don't do it to be hard to get along with. We don't want people taken away from understanding what the truth of God really is. Yeah, I think uh, I think there are a lot of those things that we have to consider, like especially in voting and when it comes to our government, as far as things that are, I think are more so morally neutral, but we have to have a moral stance on how we approach it. And like the immigration is a good example of that, that we should be reaching out to the people who need it, who would be coming over. But at the same time, too, from um, I think from the standpoint of what's going to benefit our country, most of the people who come over illegally, I think there are some people who come over because they need a better life. But a majority of people who do come over is for trafficking reasons or for drug running reasons. It's for criminal reasons. And so at the same time, too, if we don't shut, if we don't do something to at least uh, minimize the amount of people that come over, at least especially legally, then all we're doing is jeopardizing the people who have to suffer then um, over the border. I think the I think Washington D.C. is now finally starting to recognize this. Which usually by the time if it gets to be a problem up to where I think. D.C. recognizes it. It's been a problem for the people on the border much longer than that. But people having to deal with kidnappings and murders and stuff over around, especially around the Mexican border because of the people coming in with malicious intent. So I think that's where it's good that we have to find a, a good balance between um, immigration, letting the people who come in who need to come in, but at the same time, too, um, fig- mitigating the issue of the criminals coming over and causing problems within our country. But like you said, too, it does come down to we also have to be willing and able to reach out to those people as well. So I think it's one of those, I think that's one of those like neutral areas that we have to have a good moral foundation that we come from as far as making those decisions. Well, you know, and I, this is something I've advocated for a lot of years. The blueprint is really set in place where we could do this. A good friend of mine here when I was working at another company over 35 years ago, uh, she ran a uh, help temporary service. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, you could call her up and say, uh, I would like, to, here's what, the, what I need. And they, she would send you somebody up and let, and, and let you try this person out in that position. And so uh, set up, a, you know, this gal and that gal. And pretty soon you may have the first one or third one or whatever. You find out this is the gal that I want or the guy that I want. And um, so that really looked nice. Well, what is wrong with us doing the same thing, putting together a government agency or a, 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 a government hiring an agency? And there's some very large ones in America that could go down the, to these countries and they say, you have to apply here through this organization. <clears throat> and then you vet them to find out what kind of citizens they've been for the rat. And those are the people you bring in. Obviously, if you're running a company, I don't care who you are. You're not going to want to bring a bunch of people in that aren't going to do the job because you don't want to go bankrupt. It's that simple. Now, this is a business issue. You have to make it that a business decision. Uh, you can't be paying 10 guys to do what two should do. And uh, so these are things that uh, uh, a person ha- you know, have to think about, and I don't know why we can't set something like that up. I've said for years that we've got the blueprint. Let's use the same blueprint uh, with other countries, and if if uh, 
if some people say, well, let's just bring them in carte blanche. Well, I think it's interesting. I think one of the biggest bunch of hypocrisy that I've seen is these sanctuary cities that are up north are being shipped a lot of the people. And now they're complaining. But they seem to, it, was, it, so it was okay for us to flood Texas and keep them all down there when they don't have the means to take care of them, but they didn't want to try to help out in the process. Well, the, the bottom line is, you know, don't be, don't, again, don't be sitting there whining and carrying on when you yourself, uh, you know, have been trying to advocate it, that it's okay to stick someone else with it. Uh, to me, this is where, again, you see illogical thinking from these folks. And, uh, what, and the truth is, one of the people that get hurt the most of is the people coming in from other countries. Yeah, and what people don't understand, too, is when it comes to the immigration side, when you have this, the people coming over illegally and then they're being like processed, people think, okay, well, that means that they're just going through the formality to be here legally. But really what the processes are in the immigration world um, when it comes to the people coming over illegally is basically say, okay, here's your court date to appeal and to give your case. Here's an EBT card and a debit card. Okay, just me at this court date, knowing that they're probably never going to show up anyways. And now we've got just floods of people coming in be because we didn't have this issue as much before when people were coming in, say, like back in the 18, early 1900s. You had the Germans, you had Irish, you had English, all these different nationalities coming over, but it was a different circumstance. It was, it was, it was coming over that they were taking the risk, not knowing if they were going to make it, not knowing if they were going to be able to find work, not knowing if they're going to provide for their families. They came over because they were either escaping persecution or famine or for whatever reasons. Like my family came over from Ireland for famine reasons. And, uh, but now, but it was a different mindset because nowadays they can come over for, because they know that they're going to get welfare benefits. They know they're going to get handed an EBT card and they know they're going to get free housing and, and phones. They're going to get the government benefits without even being a citizen. Yeah, that is correct. And, and you know, the, the, again, that only goes so far. Pretty soon you're going to have to work. And is there jobs here? Uh, one of our illustrious congressmen said, oh, gee, we've got to let them in because we've got to have somebody to serve us. And as if they don't hardly have brains to do nothing else but that. And how silly. You know, I live. You, I and you live in an area which has a strong Hispanic, Hispanic uh, history. And a lot of these folks are people I love, uh, very intelligent people, very much an instrument to uh, success of the area we live in. And it, it disturbs me greatly when they try to make out that they don't have uh, the type of intellect that they more or less a subservient in mindset. That is, that is not what America's about, is thinking that you're bringing someone in to put them in that status and keep them there. Our status is that we believe that to raise them up. One former president, a friend of mine was there, I think his grandson um, uh, was, was graduating. One former president said, well, we, we got to all, America has to come down so the rest of the world will like us. Well, Chris, I don't know about you, but if, if I'm in trouble, I don't, I don't want to find somebody else that's in trouble to help me. I want somebody to help me raise up, and, I, and that's somebody that's got their feet on solid ground. And to make that kind of a statement showed me that the man was, was absolutely uh, just out the lunch on what really needs to happen. And that's the problem. We have a lot of people talking that way today, and uh, instead of saying, okay, how can we help our neighbor? 
Yeah, and I think a large problem we have too is it comes full circle back around to people making decisions based on emotions. Because just even in our conversation, someone will listen to this and say, oh, well, they're racist. They just don't like Hispanics. What's the problem with Hispanics? Do you not like them? Do you not want the, them to come over? And so any anymore, any statement you say, people are going to be offended and say and think you're racist for whatever reason. When it doesn't have anything to do with race, it doesn't have anything to do with how does it make me feel? It has to do what's best for our country, what's economically going to help our country, what's going to, from a safety standpoint for the people who live in our country, what's going to be the reasonable action to take. And unfortunately, like most people nowadays, like I said, are making decisions based on, on well, is this racist? How are we going to find equality? How is this going to make me feel? Am I going to get offended by this rather than what's actually, actually reasonable for what's actually going to be best for our country? And so I, I think even when it comes down to things that are significant moral issues that we need to consider that what different candidates have um, as far as a moral compass in those, like say like abortion, like if you're a Christian and you still are on the fence about whether abortion's okay or not, that's a whole different discussion beyond this podcast. But if you're a Christian and you believe human life is sacred and that abortion is murdering a baby in the womb, um, you have to consider if you're voting for someone who is all for abortion, um, I think there's a problem there. And I think not just abortion, but the the idea of pushing the LGBT um, ideology into the schools and to the kids, um, things like that, I think, are a moral issue that I think Christians need to look at, know where they stand, and then find someone uh, who leans more on the moral side of that as issues. Yeah, and I, I think we, you know, that's very difficult to find out there because what bothers me sometimes, I, I, I see... Uh, uh, as we were discussing earlier, first of all, um, one of the parties at the convention booed God, the mention of God three times. And a lot of people will say, oh my gosh, what a, what a bunch of heathens they are. But on the other party, they may not have booed God, but the truth is, they haven't stood up for God. So one may have the sin of commission, while the other has the sin of omission, and uh, not standing up for the things of God on a general basis. And so what we have to do is make sure that we understand that people will, to, their first job is to, when they go to, to a elected office, the first job is to get elected, the second job is to get reelected. And how many times have you heard people say, oh, I'm, I'm for term limits, and the next thing you know, they're in their sixth term. Uh, they, uh, they didn't practice what they preached. And so that's a, we have to understand that that's what's going on out there, that a lot of guys, what they say and what they do is two different things. And um, uh, when it comes to these issues, uh, if you would say, okay, for instance, something that happened when the, the, the decision came down on abortion from the Supreme Court, a lot of people started writing checks to Planned Parenthood and to, to keep, you know, to keep things going. Well, Keep it up. If that's what you want, you fund them. Don't ask for my taxes to fund them. That is ridiculous. And then we have been funding Planned Parenthood to a major degree. And uh, and most of their work is abortions. And the bottom line is to me is that if uh, people want it, uh, especially some of the people that are unbelievably rich, uh, you know, the one, uh, one guy that was unbelievably rich, 
wound up putting $400 million into a political campaign last time, is looking at maybe doing it again. Well, if that's the case, why don't you put that a portion of that into uh, Planned Parenthood? You would far exceed their budget. And then you have others, uh, many others, Hollywood elites, as they call themselves, and everything else the same way. Let them fund their own work. And when you, uh, when you live your life at risk, as many people do, indulging in areas of, that they shouldn't be doing, and then you get sick, and they all of a sudden want somebody else to bail them out. My taxes, your taxes. Well, uh, again, many of these people are very wealthy. Fund your own way, but quit taking and putting a tax burden on the people. And I'm talking about the everyday. Now, one thing to keep in mind is back in the 90s, they brought the IRS in for questioning about how they function. And the RIS basically said what they do is they go after the low-income people and small businesses because they don't have the means to fight back. Now, I'm going to tell you what, those would have been fighting words for me. I would have said, now, wait a minute, because I grew up pretty modest means. Um, My dad ran a few businesses. My dad was also illiterate, but not stupid, because he had to work when he was very young. But the bottom line is, is that uh, I would have come along and said, now, wait a minute, the IRS has no right to do those particular, you know, to go after people like that. And the people that say, oh, I'm for the little people, did nothing. And the other people that said, well, I'm for this or that, did nothing. And the whole result is we still have the same mess going on today. And neither party of the United States of America did anything. And you've got to keep those things in mind when you listen to a candidate. Are they going to make the IRS just a, a agency that's not used as a weapon towards other people? In fact, my opinion about the IRS, it should be eliminated. And all states have, the, have a means of collecting taxes. Let the states collect the taxes and send it into the United States Treasury. But you don't need two entities doing that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think there's such a disconnect with, from what people understand what the role of government is. I think because, like you said, like uh, people expect the government to fund this and fund this, to fund the welfare program, to fund the the illegals coming over, to fund Planned Parenthood, to fund all this stuff, but have a disconnect between what the actual point of the government is. And the see, the point is, like, if you if the government is in control of that stuff and is the one funding that stuff, they're the ones that have the control over it. And the more, the more you allocate to the government, especially for when it comes to, like, income, the more control they're going to have over what you can and can't do and what you can and can't have. And that's really how a socialist and a communist government comes into place is you just hand over your freedoms to them, um, expecting them to take care of everything. And so, yeah, I think uh, when it comes down to uh, each of the political parties – um, I think we need to look at like who's got the like you said. Look at like their track record. Like look at what have they actually done? Because most of these people who who run for president are usually have some kind of a track record politically in the past. Um, some don't. Like obviously, like we mentioned, Trump. He was a business owner before um, he came in. But most of them have some kind of a political track record that you can go back and look at and see what have they actually accomplished anything. What have they been for in the past as far as politically speaking? Like I think like DeSantis from Florida who was running and we had mentioned that he had dropped out, but now he's backing Trump. But like he's the one that was pushing for um, eliminating abortion. He's the one that's pushing for getting the LGBT stuff out of the schools. Um, he's the one that started putting certain tax things back on Disney um, that they didn't have applied to them ahead of time. 
some of those things that you could see the track record of the good things he was doing. Um, but I think that is one thing we need to look at is what kind of track record does that candidate have of what they've actually been able to accomplish in the past and what they've stood for. But, you know, we've, we've talked about the two different parties that we have and like when it comes to conservatism versus like liberalism, Democrats versus Republican, right wing, left wing, however you want to put it. Um, but I think, I think there's a lot of uh, Christians, especially like old school Christians who put, um, a lot of weight into a political party. It's like, okay, well, I'm Republican, so I'm always going to vote Republican because that's the way I've always done it. Um, but I think when it comes to like the right wing versus left wing, um, I think you already mentioned that that there's there's stuff going on on both sides. One party might be a little more deceptive than the other, but still, you have your right wing and left wing. They're both the same wing of the same bird. I mean, it's it's. Um, I don't think there's you could put trust in a party that's where we put trust in christ and not into a party for certain things to you know to come about and for to change certain things within our country yeah i uh when you think about <clears throat> excuse me when you think about right wing left wing conservative the reality is as i said to you earlier before we started you go over to russia and you talk about somebody that's conservative that's somebody that wants communism much like uh Putin does. Putin wants to get back to the communistic style of government. And maybe still, maybe is, and we just don't really recognize it. Uh, but that would be a conservative over there. Uh, a, a liberal would be one to say, no, we need to have democratic elections, much like it happened at the foundation of this country. The conservatives wanted to keep England in charge. And the liberals were people that would say, no, we want to be independent. And so we do, what we view as a liberal would now would be a conservative. We've established documents for this country, you know, the Declaration of Independence and, of course, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And so as a person that is a conservative, I want to conserve the principles in there. Now, I, I, that's middle of the road, folks. That's, that's not being left. That's not being right within the context of the United States. And that's what we've got to recognize, that it does gripe me to no end when people try to define that I'm this or I'm that, when I am actually saying, no, I'm neither. I am a person that put, that is a conservative and a constitutionalist. So as the very minute you go any direction from that, you are no longer putting your faith in the foundation of this country. And so often uh, people are getting by with this stuff. We let them get by with it. And uh, because of the uh, uh, political expedience of, of getting a vote because people want their, you know, themselves stroked over it, uh, and we got to be very careful about that, particularly as Christians. You know, we, you have to say, what is morally right here? You know, for instance, uh, one great example, <clears throat> excuse me, one great example in the Bible, uh, Peter and John had healed a person. They were pulled in before the Sanhedrin. And uh, now this shows you the duty of the, of the citizen. And they said to him, we want you to quit that. They said, who are we to obey? You or God? Now think about what they just said to the Sanhedrin. You or God, that means you're not doing what God has told you to do. I mean, I mean you'd have to extrapolate that out of that. You, and so they're taking a stand against them. And they're saying it's really pretty much a slap in the face. Well, they flogged them, but they went ahead and let them go. 
Well, the bottom line is, <clears throat> the bottom line is, is that there comes a point when our government says, for instance, we no longer go and spread the gospel of Christ, making disciples and that sort of thing. Then that's when we reach a limit and say, no, we're going to go ahead and declare the the uh, you know the, Christ as the uh, as the the sacrifice for sin for all humanity, and we're going to keep going on that. And you may get thrown in prison. You may get your head removed, as has happened recently over in some uh, Middle East countries. And uh, I mean, and then over, for instance, over in uh, uh, Africa right now, in Nigeria particularly, uh, there's been a ruthless activity towards anybody that's, in a, that's a Christian. So what, what we have to do is understand where the, the, the stopping and the starting goes as Christians and one of the things we don't do is compromise on Matthew uh, chapter 28, uh, uh, where it says, go into all the nations, make disciples. Yeah, let's. so we started out this episode in Romans 13, and I'm going to revisit it, verses 1 and 2. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And then it goes on the rest of the whole half of that chapter talking about this is what the government set up for to judge the guilty, to um, to protect, um, and all these other things. Um, but I, like you had just said, like where's that line that we draw when the government, or we're supposed to submit to the government, but where where the government becomes an immoral government where we then have to say, no, I'm going to follow God instead. Like where, where do we decide like where that line is drawn? Yeah. And that's it. And of course, you know, they were out uh, healing a man and spreading the gospel of Christ and they were doing the work of God and uh, in various fashions. And so when we're out doing the work of God, that's when we don't uh, succumb to the uh, to the, the political leaders, so to speak. In fact, after working with a lot of the political leaders, I can assure you that some of them uh, aren't worth following anywhere because they're just they're just totally self-absorbed. Uh, I only found one guy that I would have that I'm not saying I found everybody, but I found one guy that I would call a statesman. And uh, if you wanted to sit down and talk with him over lunch, he'd say, "Well, one criteria: I buy my own lunch or I buy my own dinner." That's just a how he functioned, and I appreciated and admired him for it. And so these are the kind of people we'd like to see more of. What do we hear every day that all these people in the position they're in are walking away with staggering sums of money when they walked into there almost without a dime in their pocket? Um, so we, you know, the, it's obvious they are in there for the wrong reason. Uh, we, uh, we have to be very careful that, okay, what does the word say? Study the word, know the word, and then if we can do that, then we got to say, okay, this is where the line is drawn. I'm going to represent Christ. I'm going to represent him as an ambassador of heaven, which we are because that's our citizenship is in heaven, we're told, as an ambassador of heaven, reconciling the world through us. So we, well, we have a responsibility to God to make sure that we spread the gospel. And it doesn't make any difference we're in the United States or in uh, buck too, or, or the wilds of some uh, jungle somewhere. Bottom line is, our responsibility is to represent God on earth. And um, 
so I'm I'm not going to succumb to somebody that says, uh, oh, you have to go along with everything we say. No, the uh, Bible tells us that the heart of a man is desperately wicked. Why would I want to follow that? I've had uh, discussions and debates before about governmental authority and how much power the, uh, the government's supposed to have. And actually, when you look into just into American government, the government was set up to be like governed by the people, not the people governed by the government. And so we've seen a switch in our country, obviously, from that. But like even like when we um, – like Jesus even said – like someone asked him about taxes, and he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And uh, we see a lot throughout the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, respect and honor the government. Um, but at the same time, when we start having uh, issues within our country where – where a church can no longer preach against homosexuality because that's considered homophobic and becomes against the law, or we're going to shut you down, or we're going to you're going to lose your tax exempt status, or um, if you start start uh, saying what the Bible says about the roles between men and women, well now you're misogynist. Now we're going to no longer allow you to be funded, or um, or what's big right now too is if if uh, if you have a child and that child decides decides that they're going to that they're transgender and that they want to go through gender reassignment surgery and you as a parent says no i'm not gonna allow that to happen then the dhs can come after you and say that say that you're endangering your child um in in a form of child abuse and so things like that or like sending your kid to a school that's gonna start teaching them lgbt stuff from kindergarten um things that the government starts saying okay this is the way we're gonna do things this is how it's gonna be and then i think us as christians then have to draw that line and say and say no that's against what god uh spells out in his word and what God tells us what we should do. And I think that's a time when Christians are going to have to find whether or not they're going to want to want to actually stand up and take have that courage to stand against what the government says, even though that there's consequences to it, or whether they're going to follow God and say, no, I'm going to follow his precepts. In those issues you just talked about, there is medical problems. Uh, and these are the, the you know, when we don't try to, so to speak, their word to affirm all that. It's amazing how it wasn't too long ago they were blaming uh, people out here for not following science. Well, if you truly look at the science behind that, they are wrong, period. And that's, uh, and it's ridiculous for them to say, tell me to follow science when they don't. I think of a, of a uh, pastor that I heard speak. And it was Adrian Rogers. Now, Adrian Rogers went on to be with the Lord a long time ago. But he said, and this was a statement that he made, that there was a time well before him where where it was made that there are 51 truths of science that are absolute. And he said, none of them are in play today. So for someone to say that science has always got all the answers, well, we know when you start looking back at science and start looking at things when it comes to uh, the various <clears throat> aspects of, uh, of different, uh, even in the small world of atoms and beyond that, uh, you know, the, uh, getting into the inner, the inner structure of them, uh, the speed that things happen, sometimes the duplicity of atoms seems like the same atoms in two different locations. When you start looking at all this and start looking at the fact that, uh, first of all, uh, Darwin said that if the skin was just blobs, which he thought it was, 
then what he was talking about would work. Well, we now know that's the sophistication that goes on as far as the programming, on top of programming, on top of programming, the interaction, how your body knows how to do this and how to do that. There seems to be a second brain in the stomach. So what you're really looking at here is something that's very sophisticated, way beyond comprehension for the natural scientist. And so I'm supposed to follow them when they cannot explain in any way, shape, or form some of the most simple things that happen within a human body or other places. No, we have to sit here and say, wait a minute, this has to be designed. And so therefore, we're not going to go along with what you're trying to say is, is a good thing to go along with. And it does boil down to, do we believe we are here by a creator? Now, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that I think that the empirical facts uh, absolutely were here by intelligent design. The question is, who is the designer? Well, and that theory is so much more still taught in school as a fact. And Well, actually, it's more of an ideology because for in the scientific process, a theory is like a hypothesis you come up with and you test it, whether or not it's true or not. It's been obviously, it's been debunked several times. It's not even a theory at this point, but it's taught so much to the point knowing that scientifically it's inaccurate. So either the people teaching it are either, they're either stupid or they're ignorant or they're willfully deceptive um, to teach that stuff. And again, it all comes back down to having a moral base and a moral compass having that absolute truth of where are you going to stand and what, because truth has to be outside of you. If truth is inside of you and truth is determined by how you feel and what you think, it's going to be different for everyone. And then you, in a society, you don't have a standard that everyone is going to have to abide by. Everyone lives by their own standard. So we have to have a, a truth that's outside of us as a person that then governs everyone. And I think, again, when we're talking about the government, we're talking about voting, I think we need to you need to find someone who's got a good moral compass who doesn't think okay well I my opinion is this or or this is my truth so I'm going to I'm going to rule the, or lead the country under my truth. And so we need to find a candidate that actually has that moral compass that says no what's true and what should be done is outside of what my personal opinion is. But I mean when we're talking about you were talking about science and about how I think even just it was just within a couple years that it went from trust the science to now we're going to completely obliterate science and just whatever you feel. But I think a part of that too is what is very heavily on the liberal side and left leaning side is they just redefine the terms. And like when it comes to science during the whole COVID thing, so, uh, when they say trust the science, what they're talking about is trust the publications and trust Dr. Fauci, not what is actually scientifically tested and proven. And I think that's still even today. It's like, well, we're just going to trust the science and they don't, understand that the definition of science is something that can be tested and proven and observed. And when we just say, well, we're going to trust the science in terms of, well, this is just what this particular publication or this particular science that says that aligns with what I, what I want to believe, that's not actually science. Science has to be tested and proven in order for it to be true science. Yeah. And, and the truth is, how can you, uh, how can you go back? I mean, right now, when you just take a look, for instance, um, and I, th I think maybe you heard him, uh, Jay Siegert. Uh, uh, Jay come in, and he talks about the programming that's within the uh, uh, the DNA. And it was four levels at that time, maybe more now, maybe discovered more. Well, four levels of intricate programming. 
well, you got to have a programmer. And then there's an overriding program of that. And, you know, the truth is, and then, then uh, how does anybody take in nourishment and all of a sudden that nourishment goes to your fingernail because it needs to grow because you've hit it and maybe lost a fingernail? Or it goes to your hair or goes to there, goes to healing your body and the right nutrients in the right place. You know, think about a something inside you has to do that. Now, it's interesting when we talk about things. The Bible says that this life that we're in is virtual reality, that it is not the law is temporary. It's in essence virtual reality. And that the, that the life that's after this life is the permanent life. And so when you really think about it that way, and think about somebody programming a computer, you have it all programmed, and uh, and within there, you know, you've probably seen uh, Star Trek where they have the holodeck, and where people can actually feel and, uh, the material things, but yet they are, in essence, uh, uh, generated by a computer. And so if you think about that, there is a very, 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 staggeringly very, intelligent being that put all this together and then all of a sudden decides there comes a day when he goes it takes away the temporary and puts in the permanent or takes us to the permanent um you know we're talking about realms way beyond our comprehension and understanding and that's what i'm seeing a lot here today most people wanting to to just that i see out here do not want to admit there's somebody that and a power that more much more intelligent than them but yet the evidence is right square in front of them. And yet it's very contradictory when they want to find an alien species that has a higher intelligence than us. But I think uh, I think this whole issue, there's there's a deeper underlying issue than just the issue of science or um, like we've been discussing. I think it comes down to just uh, ignorance that's been placed on a majority of the people. Um, I was watching some videos the other day, um, and they're not hard to find. You can go on YouTube and find them everywhere of someone going onto a college campus and going to different college students asking them very, very basic questions, and they can't even answer the most basic of questions. I think one was, just name the title of one book, and they couldn't even name a title of a book. And one was like, uh, like, like what country fought in the Civil War? And they couldn't answer those questions. And just the absolute ignorance that people have. And I think when it comes down to when it, people's perception or their uh, belief in government comes down to just complete ignorance and a misunderstanding of really how things work. And like when it comes to the Constitution, you had talked about the Constitution. A lot of people believe that the Constitution is just racist and is just is errant and is uh, outdated and should no longer be the governing uh, document for our country. And I think the basis behind that is, well, the Constitution was mostly written up of predominantly white men, white men. And so, well, that means it's racist and misogynist, and that means we shouldn't follow it. And again, it comes back down to the whole playing on the emotional side of things instead of the reasonable side of things. But behind the Constitution is the fact that you had settlers coming over from England, which was a more oppressive country at the time, and they came over and they understood the implications of if you allow these certain freedoms to be stripped, we're going to end up with a tyranny like what we had in England. And that's why certain things were set in place because they knew what the implications that would happen as far as the country turning to tyranny if you don't follow those things. If we don't have religious freedom, the freedom of press, we don't have uh, the right to bear bear arms in order to protect ourselves, we'll just become another country like England, then there would have been no purpose in colonizing America. And 
that's the whole when it comes down to the constitution people don't understand the whole purpose behind the governing documents that we have they just say well it's racist because it was written by white men and so i think when it even my generation is big on wanting to push for socialism in fact i saw a headline the other day i think it's an older one but saying that we need to get rid of the white cisgender capitalist government that we have and we need to go to, towards socialism but that's again it comes down to that fundamental problem that people are so mis, misinformed and they're so ignorant of really what what these things actually are that they don't know that if we did become a socialist or communistic country that they would suffer you know the results of that as well so like i think people just need to understand like the different aspects of government and like what what would be the implications if we had a socialist government in our country, which I think we're getting closer to um, just because of just the way things have been going. But like, if we become like, what do you think that would look like for America if we became a fully socialist or communistic country? Like what freedoms do you think most people would end up losing? Yeah. And um, this, um, this idea of capitalism was, was actually a, a term that was uh, used by a uh, communist. And it was a derogatory term. It probably looked back at the uh, at some of the people that have attained such a great uh, wealth. And the truth is, they weren't capitalist in this. In my sense, uh, uh, what we're really talking about is a free market mindset that you believe that everybody has a right to have a free market. Well, a lot of the uh, very early businessmen would did a lot of work on trying to anybody wanted to get into the business. Uh, to, to stop them from getting into the business. And they were very, very, very wealthy people. And they even loaned money to the government to keep going, uh, that, that they were so wealthy. We know a lot of the names. Well, the point is, is that what I believe in is a free market economy. Uh, you can use the term capitalist and, and as a derogatory term like they did. And I know now not everybody sees it that way. But to put it in the point, and they call it a free market economy, that is my firm belief. And one of the things that's happened over the years is some of these guys uh, supposedly had broke up their companies like Standard Oil did, which is huge, and they broke it up into various entities and uh, different oil companies and that sort of thing. Well, the bottom line is probably if you went to their, the boards of the companies, probably the same people on each and every one of them pretty much down the line. But the... The whole idea that that communism is going to be a good thing, how many times has it been tried and failed? I mean, pretty soon you've got to say, how much has it failed out there? What Some people are saying, I want to eat and drink and be merry, and I want someone else to pay for it. And uh, we tried communism in America. We tried it back at the founding of this country, where we... Uh, we had people that they all went together as a commune, and there was a, some land that they had to work. Well, some people wouldn't work. Others did. And the whole bit, though, they about starved to death. So they finally decided we're going to break up the land, and each is going to have his own uh, piece of land, and what you make out of it is going to be up to you. And that's when things started to flourish, because they were selling goods over to England and everything else. Uh, that is part of the problem for us not understanding that foundation. And that's the problem with socialism. In fact, it's interesting. I was listening to Rick Steves one night on PBS, 
and he was talking to somebody after the Iron Curtain fell. I think it was either in Austria or Hungary. I don't know which country it was. And he said, what's the difference between socialism, communism, and uh, capitalism? <clears throat> Excuse me. He said, the guy speaking to him said, under socialism, that's good for the bad worker and bad for the good, uh, good worker. Under capitalism, it's good for the good worker and bad for the bad worker. Otherwise, those people that really get to work hard and get out there are going to get ahead. Those people that want somebody to fund them and more or less to do what the things that they do and, and don't want to be responsible, yeah, they're going to struggle. But then, um, you know, uh, it's, it's made very clear in, uh, in the scriptures that you don't work, you don't eat. And you, and you should be pretty thankful that you got an opportunity to do that. Even here recently, uh, I was watching America's Got Talent last year, and there was a group that come over from Africa. And after they had been on the show a little bit, they said, we love America. And because of what was afforded to them by being able to come over here and uh, be a part of it. They, and what afforded that? Free market economy. Yeah, and I think what people need to understand too is that nothing nothing comes free. And so when we have when we have free healthcare or you have free welfare that goes out to people who don't want to work or we have wealth distribution where where there's no there's no classes where everyone makes the same which we have like in a socialist economy where the wealth of everyone is distributed among everyone so no one's more wealthy than the other in terms of income um None of that comes free, and it has to come from somewhere, and it always comes from the taxpayers because the government just doesn't have a surplus of money. In fact, we're so far in debt that there's no way we could ever have a surplus of money in our as far as the government goes, but that money has to come from somewhere, and so it's going to come from the people who actually are working. And like you had just gave that example where our country started as, you know, if we have a, if we have a socialistic country where, where wealth is divided – it's like, well, if there's doctors who are performing surgery, what's to keep them from just quitting their jobs and saying, and saying, you know what, I'm, I can make just as much as a doctor as I can just sitting at home playing video games, or I can just go, you know, what's the? There's no, we talk about equality. There's no equality there because um, for something to to be equal, your pay has to be equal, your income, what you make has to be equal to what your skill level is, and if it's not, if everyone's making the same. That all it's going to do is require everyone. Everyone's just going to eventually quit. Like you said, people quit working. Then where's that money going to come from? That's going to provide those people. And eventually, your economy just collapses from that point, and then you have to start from somewhere else. And so, I think people just need to understand how that works. But I think when people talk about wanting to bring socialism into America, all they can think of is, well, I get free health care, or you know, I get a free check, I get free EBT cards, I get all these benefits. As long as I vote for this candidate, I'll get all these benefits and not have to pay for them. Yeah, and you know, there's another thing that's kind of uh, we are don't think very clearly on. A lot of people say, let's tax business. <clears throat> well, the problem with that is, how do they think the business makes their money? They, they take all their expenses and, and put a... Uh, Return on investment or return on what the the amount of money they have laid out, they've got to have a return on it to stay in business, and that includes taxes. 
And so when you go, when you start taxing businesses, one guy uh, or one company, I think it was the Cato Institute, uh, did an analysis uh, on that, that, that if you take a company that is uh, pays taxes on their product and they sell it, and then let me give you an example. Let's say you take an iron ore company and they take the iron ore and they take it out of the ground, they pay taxes, and they ship it to a uh, iron producing of manu- of manufacturing site. And uh, they make their and they put their their cost of taxes in there to them, and so they they not only got the cost of all their operations, but they got the cost of taxes. Well, that tax is sent to the uh, the steel mill, and the steel mill uh, not, not only has to pay for that by buying it, but then they turn they got they sell it to let's say a fork truck company, that and so that fork truck company paying now both of those taxes that have been occurred going through. Well, the forklift company makes forklifts out of them, and um, they uh, say, "Okay, we're going to sell these to a uh, a forklift uh, distributor." And there are those around. They sell forklift distributors across the United States, and so they do that. And uh, then again, another taxes. That first tax, the second tax, and the third tax have got markups on them. They're growing exponentially, not linearly. And they said any that by the time you figure that that book truck gets to the manufacturer, it's costing and or even a lot of the goods, it's costing the the people out buying those goods anywhere from thirty to fifty percent of the product, and yet we're telling them that it's a free ride because industry are going to pay taxes. Isn't going to happen. Our business is going to pay taxes. You have got to make enough money to pay taxes, and hopefully enough left over to have maintain a good business and to grow your business and to uh, maintain your business. You know, equipment one uh, wears out. Various things like this. This whole concept of what they're laying out is utterly ridiculous. That uh, we ought to charge business. I read an article which said one of the reasons that come about was that the, the politicians wanted to put that in place so they could go to a business and basically said, you scratch our back and we'll scratch yours. And, but it can also go the other way around. But the businesses can go to these people and say, hey, if you uh, take care of some of my taxes and my overhead and stuff like this through whatever means, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, uh, help you out here. So it really allows for much persuasion within the political realm, where if it was just not even put in there, it wouldn't happen. But most of the time, you know, you go to the fair tax org, uh, various places like this, they will they will document this stuff. But the bottom line is, most people are swallowed in by it. Well, if they're making money, they need to pay taxes. Now, if you think that they're not paying their taxes, I have ran the analysis on business as part of my profession. And say, if you don't think that is not included in there, somebody's kidding themselves. Well, and what's the result if we start taxing these large businesses with even more taxes beyond what they're already paying? It means their cost of operation and their cost of products going to go up. means you're going to pay more for whatever you're paying. And you think gas prices have gone up quite a bit in this administration. Imagine if if the major – well, we import everything anyways. But imagine all these gas stations and all these other major uh, – these major businesses are now being taxed significantly more. You're going to be paying more for product. Um, and, but that, I think that all comes back down to uh, the difference between equality. And I think the left is definitely skewed that word to have a different meaning as we've 
talked about they changed the meaning but that and the difference between that and um the equity of outcome and i think what the what they were trying to push for is equity of outcome they want everyone to make the same amount of money they want even large businesses who've gone through the work they've done the work to set themselves up to bring in the money they're bringing in they people want them to make just as much as the person sitting at home watching a movie and um they want the equity of outcome, but that's not equality. Equality is you get what you you get paid what you work for. If you work your butt off for ten years, you build a great business, and now you're making millions or billions coming in from that. You know the equal thing to do is you get paid and you're you're fairly taxed on the work that you put in towards getting that business going. If all you want to do is sit around and collect EBT cards or just work five hours a week at McDonald's. You know, you're equally also entitled to only get paid what you're putting into your work. Yeah, and, and, and so often we've we've misconstrued this out there to the people, and and uh, I've uh, I've dealt with a lot of people. Say, got a question for you? If you walked into a garage, and they were going to work on your car, and they had a man there to open the door, and another man to open the hood, and another man there to, uh, you know, take off the. Uh, the electrical and the other man for the, you know, you had five people that one person could do. And, uh, would you call that And you knew the bill should be a, uh, to say a hundred dollars, uh, bill for it. And all of a sudden you're paying a thousand. What are you going to do? And they would, I said, you'd be irate. You know, that's a mindset that a lot of people have out there that you, that this is how you do things wrong. It is not how you do things. It's not how you want it done to you when it comes to those types of level. But yet they will do that. I know of a local factory that uh, had over a 1,000 people. And they finally wound up reducing it down over a period of years to a uh, little over 400 people and putting out the same work, if not more, in high quality. You know, we have to be very straightforward in how would we want it done if we were running the company. And we can't say that somebody has the right to float uh, someone else's uh, boat for them. Uh, you float your own boat. And I'm not talking about being taken advantage of or anything like this, but I've seen uh, too many situations like that. Well, what happens is the politician comes along, and this is where I'm headed with this. They will take these instances, and they will basically say, this is what we're going to do for you. And everybody says, yeah, I'll take it. You know, we want this. We want this because it's in our pockets. Well, they're not willing to work for it or they're not willing to put in the total amount of time. I've seen people brag because they're only putting in two hours a day at a factory. Well, that's just, that's just wrong. I, uh, I, my father was, um, went up during the depression and he told me from when he lived down South that they got uh, 50 cents a day to, from sun up to sundown to pick cotton or chop cotton or work in the forest. And that's really not 50 cents an hour. 50 cents a day, and those days were started at at when you could hardly see, and you worked and you couldn't see no more, so you're talking probably about 14, 15 hours a day. And he said, he always told me you were glad to get it because there was 50 guys in line to take your job in a heartbeat. And that's the attitude that, I, that he had, and he instilled it in me, that you float your own boat. You don't go out and ask someone else to do it for you. Yeah, I think... Um what a lot of think when it comes down to as well, you know, people talk about we have systemic problems in our country. We got systemic racism. We got systemic bigotry. We got systemic misogyny. But 
I think the only real systemic problem that we really have is a systemic misinformation within our country. You know, we have we have so much people who are misinformed as to what's actually going on and what's actually reality. And again, I think when it comes down to when you have, uh, I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. I think the media plays a lot into it. I think a lot of just what our culture has just decided to adopt. And I think a lot of it comes down to uh, the fact that the public school system is very rampant and pushing a lot of stuff into people, kids from the time they're in kindergarten to where that's just their, I guess you could say natural belief by the time they get out of school, unless they have some other outside, like a decent parent that actually helps them to not lean that direction. But we have so much misinformation. I think <clears throat> kind of what I've been finding is people who have such that radical, that radical misbelief in how things should be like, what, like it just down to that, say just the transgender movement, like the fact that that it's just not natural and it's not scientific for transgenderism to exist for uh, the issues of abortion, any of these things, the issues of socialism, the people who, wholeheartedly believe that that's the way to go and that that's acceptable and that it's I, I there's such a misinformation out there that i don't think some of those people can be i, I think they can have um i guess their minds changed on some of that but what i find is that anytime you have an argument or a discussion with people like that they're so bent on their position that there's no leeway for them to actually like change their mind into seeing things the way they actually are um i know I, i've seen um uh, ben Shapiro's things where he goes into colleges and he'll do an expose, but he'll have people ask him questions and he'll answer them. He always, he always will logically or reasonably point out the flaw in those people's thinking when they come up with some crazy question. But even though he, even though you can see the wheels turning in their head, they still can't walk away from their position that they have. And when it comes to like, like say like the transgenderism movement and someone brings up some point about the transgenderism and, and, uh, ask a question to Ben Shapiro about it, and he just shuts them down with a very logical answer. You can see the wheels turning, but they can't walk away from that position. And I think it's just because we have such a systemic misinformation problem within our country that those people just don't want to change their position. And I think that really kind of does come down to when we're talking about voting, we're talking about politics and government. Um, those people, I think, are just so... Um, set on their position that even when it comes down to candidates, that's what they're going to vote for. I think that's why it's important for Christians to vote. Cause I've met a lot of Christians who've said, well, there's no point in voting. I'm just not going to go vote. And I think to some degree, I think we're getting closer to a point where I don't think it's going to matter as much, but I also think that if you don't like the state of our country, but you don't vote, you don't really have a, a right to complain about it either. Cause you haven't done at least your part to try to bring in a decent person into the country. But I know like even with this last election, there was just, overwhelming evidence for voter fraud and yet there's nothing never done about it either and but i i, I do think we have a big problem with misinformation in our country we have enough people who are misinformed who are voting and i don't think we have enough people who are informed who think it's worth the trouble to go vote yeah you just really swerved into something there when you talk about election fraud if people are willing to do that and willing to accept that does that tell you that you absolutely cannot trust them whatsoever? And if they really believed in the fact of fair and, and, and elections, but they're saying no, what we believe is so much higher than yours, we have the right to dictate to you moral issues and everything else, and uh, we're the ones in charge here. We're the enlightened ones. 
And so we had the right to do all that to you. Well, that's a, that's a very poor position to be in because pretty soon it could come right back down and wind up biting you. In fact, uh, one uh, people would call these people useful idiots because they do what is, is the very thing that's going to wind up putting the wrong people in power. And those people are advocating things right now when it comes to like the World Economic Forum, which has got a tremendous amount of power. They're advocating things right now that, again, would, re- would, would, releg- would relegate the um, population, uh, a drop in the population, by 95%. And so that means that they're implementing things. And they, uh, they in fact, Bill Gates, if you read some of his statements that he's made about uh, wanting to eradicate a lot of the people, uh, one of the things that he talked about was um, injections, you know, for for diseases and various other things, but we need to drop the population. Now, let me give you a, a an example of of how these people were so wrong. First of all, they say we can't have got we got a carbon problem, a CO two problem. Well, I've got information from an encyclopedia that I bought about sixty years ago, and. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, that was probably printed about 60 years ago. I bought it a little later than that. But uh, that says that the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere is virtually the same as it is today. And uh, so we've not seen an increase. Well, the other day they're saying, well, the, all this CO2 that we're spewing out is causing the Earth to get greener. So, really? Causing it to get greener, huh? I thought you were telling us it was going to get browner. We were going to have more drought. We were going to have more heat. And all this thing, and now you're telling me that photosynthesis is actually working. Wait a minute, something else you got to think about. How does photosynthesis work? You got to have water. H2O plus CO2, as actually the formula is six parts CO2, six parts H2O, yields fruc- uh, glucose, C6H12O6, plus six parts oxygen given off. That's photosynthesis. I've known that since eighth grade, and it was well established before that. So you can't have it both ways. And that's one of the things that's a problem here. They want to advocate one time it's going to be causing uh, global warming, and other times it's going to cause, and that would cause a lot of uh, browning of the earth. Well, now they're saying the earth is greening. Well, wait a minute now. Didn't they say we wouldn't have enough food to, uh, uh, to, to be able to feed the people? But it's greening even more now, so maybe we do. And the reason I'm being making being a pretty facetious on this is I one of the things that I did as a byproduct of one of my uh, projects I was on. It, it was an alternate energy project, and one of the things we were going to take to, and, and add to it was heat uh, a 10-acre greenhouse, and it was going to be full of tomatoes. And one of the things they do, and you can find these out there, uh, put in CO2 and those you'll have tomato plants that are 30 foot long. They have to stream up and go down, uh, up and go up into the ceiling with them. They're so big. And they produce copious amounts of tomatoes. Uh, you can buy these at various sites for basically what it is, I believe, is dry ice. And as it releases the CO2 as it, you know, thaws out. Well, the bottom line is, is uh, if, so that, that tells you, if you take a look at the typical tomato plant, and I have some that grow in my garden that are probably maybe a 10 foot tall at the most, if all of a sudden they're 30 foot tall, that's a lot of extra plant life 
it's a lot of extra tomatoes, I can feed a lot more people. So you look at the whole science behind that, and that's one of the things that bothers me, is that if you really look at the fact that carbon dioxide is, when it goes into the atmosphere, that is uh, about 65-70% of it is a sword back out of it with water, rain. And that's and you see it all the time because it makes carbonic acid. Well, uh, anybody doesn't know about carbonic acid, go grab a, a, a bottle of uh, Pepsi or Coke or something which has the fizz in it. That's, car- that's carbon dioxide. And it's, and it's, got, it's an acid content. And uh, that's from the carbonic acid. So, this, so it's nothing new that it can be saturated and, uh, and, and, and solubilized within the uh, water. Well, then the rest of it is compensated for by, uh, by the um, uh, photosynthetic activity out there today. And so what is kind of interesting, I've got a friend of mine, pretty bright guy, and he did a lot of research. And if you look at his research on CO2, and he's pulled, he names his sources and documents it well, that what you're hearing on CO2 is nonsense. And what everybody doesn't realize, there's this group of people that are trying to take that issue, and everything in the world has to come under their auspices, and they control it. In fact, even one of our illustrious people uh, that went out there and said, we, got, I, we need to eradicate all CO2. So therefore, you eradicate all plants, and therefore you eradicate all human life, animal life of any type. Now, how stupid can you be? I mean, I hate to be that blunt, but its bottom line is that's the people that are out there misleading us. And it's being a political, it's a highly political item. And that's why you have to think through this. That's why you have to use your brain. You have to do your research. And in about 1900, a gentleman by the name, I think it was Thomas Dewey or John Dewey, but the bottom line is he made a specific effort to go out and dumb down the school system for 50 years. And that's basically what he did. But if you look at some people who had to graduate from high school and look at their test back about 1890, it was pretty staggering. I seen one of the tests in the Wall Street Journal. And it was staggering what these people had to know. And I'm looking through it and thinking, you know, I've had a pretty fair education, but some of those were items I didn't know. We, and you're exactly right about them dumbing them down. We've dumbed down people dramatically, and now we've got them just kind of say, if it feels good, do it. Well, you know, that's nonsense. Uh, we, uh, we are also told that uh, you know, drugs are okay to take. They're not. They warp your mind. And they're on a long-term basis. They are. In fact, we've, t- I think, talked about this before. The word for sorcerer in the Bible that is wrong before God is the root word pharmakia, or pharmaceutical. And it means that the, otherwise, sorcerers try to control, and they are representing of the dark powers. And that's the thing we've got to constantly keep in mind. These people are tied into the dark powers. They, much like a lot of people, have go up and literally have an effort made on their part to get into transcendental type of things so where they're actually pulling information from these dark powers. And uh, I've seen it firsthand uh, and been in, in a conference that was supposed to be value-added, ag-related, and had the guy sitting that's rubbing elbows with me literally talk about how he does this very thing for his inventions. 
And Hitler and his group and many people in the United States, especially the northeastern corner, did the same thing. That's covered a lot uh, in Doug Woodward's book, Power Quest One and Power Quest Two. And uh, Doug did a great work, and it's he's got it well documented. Yeah, and and actually, you can go back and look at and we talk about track records and stuff. Ever since, well, actually, '63 is when the government decided to take the Bible and take God out of schools. It kind of made that official decision. And ever since that point is actually where you started seeing unwed pregnancies and teen pregnancies skyrocket, like, like up into the hundreds of percents, like two, three, four hundred percent. You start seeing crime going up. You started seeing um, uh, fatherless families going up. All those started going up when you, after 63, uh, when they took God out of schools. And it's also since then that they have dropped the standards for the ACT and SAT tests dramatically just so that people come out of, out of public school could actually pass them because people weren't passing them. They, they didn't have a good enough uh, um, pass rate from the ACT scores um, f- per school. So they started just lowering the standards of the ACT and SAT tests instead of actually just bringing the education standards up. And that's happened like three times since then. But actually during COVID, I learned um, most colleges now have just opted not to even look at those tests regardless to when it comes to admissions that they just will take someone in. And uh, I think some of that, I think was reasoned out that, well, people couldn't go to testing centers to take it, but they still wanted them to be able to go to college. So they just started waving it. Well, now they just continue to wave a lot of that, but a lot of it does come down to as well that people coming out of the public school system just can't pass those tests because the standardization is so high on the, on the test, but not in the schools. And I like, like where we're from, like our school is one of the lowest in the country or not the country, the state. And, uh, and you can definitely see it in our area, just how ignorant the kids coming out of the public school systems in our area are just because of the lack of the educational standards. And, uh, and, uh, you, you had mentioned about the, the term useful idiots. And I think that's a great term for, um, I think when we're coming back down to talking about voting or talking about government, because, um, when we're looking for candidates, um, I think that's nothing to look for is they may not be someone who's advocate or advocating a certain position or name or may not be actively pushing a certain position or ideology or indoctrination, but they're just the useful idiots that are being used by that other party to do that. And like, I think, I think like our president right now is very much probably one of those. Cause I don't think he's quite got the mental capacity to, come up with some of the things he does. I think a lot of stuff is just uh, teleprompted to him. But um, but I think also we, when we're looking at candidates, we need to look at someone who, um, ha- like we've just kind of going back to what we've been talking about earlier, we need to find someone who's got a good moral compass and a good moral base for making decisions on heavily morally weighted decisions and issues, like we said, abortion and the LGBT stuff. Um, but I think we also need to find someone who's not just that useful idiot who's just going along with a certain party and just being used by a certain party. But I think we need to find someone who also doesn't have a certain agenda that they're tied to. Because if, we're, if we want someone who's going to run our country well and is actually going to make the right decisions um, that are actually going to benefit our country, we can't have someone who has a specific agenda that they lean towards and a certain ideology that they're going to follow regardless if it's decent for our country or not. And I know we've seen that historically through even just within the last several uh, administrations. If there's a certain, um, like what we've been talking about extensively about the border issue is something that needs to be addressed 
Um, but if you have a president who leans to a certain agenda, those issues just won't be addressed as they need to be. So I think we need to find someone and you need to vote for someone who doesn't have a specific political agenda in mind who's actually going to do what's right for the country. Yeah, I, that's that's what we have to do. You have to have a factual basis, and uh, that's what uh, I think we need to do. Is and I'll and I'll be honest with you. One of the things that we need to think about is the church's role in all this. Um, you know, I would like to put this into the on the table first. Um, part of my background as ancestry is um, Cherokee. And I was also told back in my ancestry was somebody that was of dark skin. I may have been North North Africa. Uh, I'm not sure. I know that uh, overall, if you look at my ancestry, I'm kind of like a, a mutt <laughs> that I, uh, I've a lot of countries of the whole bit. But the bottom line is, I don't care. I don't care if uh, somebody says, oh, that makes you more or lesser of a man. Nonetheless, it's all nonsense. But there's no partiality in God's eyes. He is, he is, uh, doesn't have a partiality up there, a standard up there, because my Bible says God so loved the world. There's no partiality. And so uh, that's my position. And, uh, and the other thing I'm always concerned about is that when I start doing things that are a detriment to the name of God. I think about Paul said about some people that were doing that over in chapter 2 of the book of Romans. He said it's, it's causing other people to blaspheme God. Well, if I'm causing other people to blaspheme God by my actions and everything, shame on me. In fact, it may be more than shame. I'm going to have a lot to talk, of, talk about before God, and, and I'm going to have a lot of um, problems. Well, I, that, I, I don't want that to happen. But what I think we really need to do in this country is that as far as the churches, is make sure we understand that archaeology has proven the Bible over and over and over and over. Science, time and again, has been shown to be very accurate according to what the Scripture says. Uh, there is a guy that's, and there's more than one astrophysicist, but there's a guy that's an astrophysicist that said he wanted to look at all the religions and see what made sense scientifically. And he talked about how the Bible did, because it talks about the universe and the expansions and various things like this. And he said, uh, and if, you, if you're familiar with an astrophysicist, the math that they have to deal with is pretty substantial. I mean, they're very intelligent people. But if you could sit down and say, okay, here's what's got to take place, and he looks at it and he said, this represents what I see in my, my math cal- uh, calculations. Uh, we have a lot of sub- facts substantiated. We just don't use them. And shame on any church that's not out here t- teaching the prophecy, teaching about the archaeology and apologetics. We need to be doing that because a lot of people don't think it's true. Well, keep this in mind that uh, there was a young man here recently that said when he found out that Hezekiah had been documented by archaeological evidence, he said, well, I didn't think the Bible was very accurate, although the more he found out, it was very, very accurate. And that's when he turned away from his agnostic attitude and became a Christian and accepted the, uh, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's our main thrust, is we need to be a people of prayer. We need to be people of asking God, where are you working and let us join you? 
I'd like you'll see if anybody reads the book Experiencing God, which I recommend highly, um, would see. And I think we, as a nation, if our churches were doing these things, we would see a great turnaround, be a great uh, revival. And if we wouldn't become woke, we'd become awake. Yeah, yeah. And I think as we wrap up, I think there's a couple of points that I kind of want to hit real quick. And I think one is like you talk about the church. We've talked about the church before and um, how, and you know, I've mentioned how the president, whoever we elect as a president as from a Christian standpoint should have moral values in their decision-making, but not a pastor and not someone who's going to go out and try to reach the whole country from the Oval Office. That's come back, back down and you talk about the role of the church. That's really the role of the church. That, and I think, again, that comes back down to the ideology that I think we all as Americans have is like, well, the government will take care of it. And we you know we have that as a whole, as our country, we have an ideology. It's like, well, healthcare, government takes care of it. Okay, people don't aren't making what they should. We need, we need welfare, government will take care of it. And I think as Christians, we've a lot of times done that. Like, it's like, well, we'll just elect a president who's got good moral values and they'll take care of it. And we haven't, as a church, done what it needs what needs to be done um, to like said, reach people that need to be reached for Christ, but also be the ones that spearhead some of these things that need to be done. Like uh, we talked about abortion and think the movements to abolish abortion and these things that do carry moral weight. I think as a church, we've very much been very passive at sitting back and not really doing much. We're just like, okay, well, we got legislators who will, they'll take care of that. And we as a church haven't been the ones that stand up to actually take action on some of that. Um, and, you know, I, I think we need to understand what the role of the church is. Um, and I think another part of the, that is having the, you know, reading the Bible about having good stewardship over what God gives us. And in our country, our country started with a foundation, a biblical foundation, and our freedoms that we have, the constitution we have, the reason why our country exists comes from a biblical foundation. And God's blessed the country up to this point with what we've had. Like, if you just look at our country, how young our country is compared to the rest of the world, and how much we've grown, and how much of a political influence we become, how much of a of a financial influence we become to the rest of the world um, for how young we are is nothing, nothing more than, nothing less than like a blessing from God. But God's only blessed our country because we've had those moral values that we've upheld and we've followed Christ for so many years. Um, but as a, with having those uh, freedoms that we've been uh, gifted with, we need to be a good steward to also not just throw those away either. You know, if we we have the freedom to go to church on Sunday mornings and not have the government show up and say, you guys got to shut down. We have the freedom to put something on Facebook or to have this podcast and talk about things that we think are important without the government coming and saying, we're going to put you in jail for talking, think, saying things that we don't want you to say. We have freedoms to do things and we need to be able to protect those freedoms too as well, you know, as Americans, but also as Christians. And I think we have, we need to have that stewardship to a, take care of what God has given us, including the freedoms that we have. And so I think as a church, that's something we need to also recognize that our stewardship of what God's given us doesn't isn't just, you know, monetary or physical, but it's also the freedoms that he gives us and the country that he's uh, blessed us with being able to live in. Um, but, you know, I think it's, I can't remember, was it the Declaration of Independence or it was the Constitution where it says, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by our Creator certain unalienable rights, which are uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And when you break that down, it means that we understand that 
there are certain rights that are given to us by God and unalienable, which means they cannot be separated, they cannot be overrun, that this is what God's given us, and a government cannot override these certain rights that God's given us, and one of them being life, of which we have completely abolished by having abortion and saying that infants who are born at, and aren't convenient don't have a right to life now. Um, and same thing with older people not contributing to society because they aren't as physically fit, saying, okay, well, now we can get rid of them because they don't have right to life now through euthanasia. And, you know, in liberty, we have life of or a right to liberty, and we see that being stripped away so much more. And, you know, pursuit of happiness, of which we're seeing stripped away more and more as well um, by limiting the freedoms that we have. And so I think as Christians and as a church, we need to understand that we have certain freedoms that God has given us that are slowly being stripped away and that we as a church need to uh, have good stewardship to also fight for those freedoms. You know that, um, that as it comes down to my thought on, on where we're at as the church, that the Bible tells us to love one another as Christ has loved us. It tells us to accept one another as Christ has accepted us. It tells us to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. It tells us to forbear with one another as Christ has for, been forbearing to us. It's, it's a job and responsibility we have. Now, that being... Um, you know, when everybody says, well, God is love. Boy, is that true. But the scripture goes on to say love in God's eyes is not the one that's, that's just ooey gooey type stuff. He says that if you truly love somebody like your own kids, sometimes you're going to warn them or you're going to discipline them and out for their own good. And so, yeah, you're going to say some things that some people may not like to hear. But the truth is, you don't tell your child to go out and play in a busy freeway because you know that, uh, in fact, you would probably get thrown in prison for the rest of your life for doing something you know, of that kind. You, you have to come along and say, don't do this, and have to be very firm about it and tell them the reason why. So we need to understand that God does us, want us to be this way as Christ as was to us. And by doing that, you've got to care enough to confront but confronting doesn't bring in violence and, and that sort of thing. It, it brings in the love of God. I think that's an excellent point. And uh, as we get ready to wrap up here, is there anything you think we need to finish off leaving the listeners with? I, <clears throat> I would just emphasize that uh, we, during this political process, do not in any way, shape, or form forget the, uh, to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. I think that's well said. And again, don't forget to go out and actually vote and exercise your freedom to actually be able to go and vote. And so thanks for listening, and we will get back to you guys next time. That's been my take.